0: Hey, Crosswalk. Thank you so much, man. It is an honor to be with you today. And I um, I just wanna welcome you to Crosswalk. If you're watching and joining us online, I hope you feel like you are in this space with us today. Um, may your hearts be full of all the love that um that we have to share with you today friends i know this is a special weekend this is mother's day weekend so um you know just uh, pick up the phone call your mom or the mother figure in your life um give them a hug give them some love i know you haven't forgotten and you won't forget but make sure you do that you know this um this is uh man mom's we want to honor the hard work of our mothers. We want to thank Cindy and our Crown Network for doing, for doing something really special for mothers today. But man, mothers, you—you you guys have—we have hard work. Like you carry a mental load, you carry the burnout, but you also create joy um, in small moments of magic for your family, for your children. You do so much. We want to honor you, and and, and we also want to honor those who wish to be mothers, but maybe whose circumstances haven't worked out the way that you had hoped. And we honor those also who have lost their mother. Um, We know that this weekend can be just a reminder of the love that you carry and the weight of loss that you feel, and we wrap our arms around you and your family. We also want to honor those who have complicated relationships maybe with their mothers where the mention of this day might not bring joy, um, but it might bring a lot of other emotions to the surface. But no matter your circumstances and no matter your story, you matter, your story matters. And if if you're outside all the categories that I mentioned, just know that you matter, your story matters, it's valid. You know, I, I wasn't quite sure um, what it would be like being a mom. I not, you don't really know, you know, until you are, and then it's too late to change your mind. Um, so <laughs> at least that's been my experience. Um, you know, I had a lot of expectations and ideas of what, What being a mom would look like, and maybe you did too. Um, I, they were very unrealistic. I can admit that freely now. But I, when you know, went before I was a mom, I would see families that showed up to things on time, and um, um, outfits that matched, and like everyone had their hair done. Um, Families whose kids ate the whole meal, and um, houses that were clean. And I just, like, I had a very unrealistic picture of what it would like to be what it would be like to be a parent and i will admit Partly to blame is the amount of time I spent on Instagram, seeing Instagram families, is that's, it's not really an accurate representation at all. And if you, if you know, uh, if you have children in your life, you know that that is just not realistic at all. But I had to learn the hard way and, or the good way, but the hard way. Um, and so like two years ago, uh, Mother's Day 2021, it, it, like I had just had my son like a week before, he was born right before Mother's Day 2021. And. Um, And that first full week with him was, like, full of um, unbounded joy and also unparalleled exhaustion. Like, if you have children in your life, you know those feelings, right? You know those feelings very well. But if you don't have children in your life, um, just imagining running, like, a marathon. But, like, every day, um, like seven days a week and also every night as well. <laughs> that like kind of sums up like the exhaustion of parenthood or like, like driving from San Diego to Reading like back and forth, back and forth, but by yourself. Like it's just exhausting and it seems relentless and never ending. Um, but as that first Mother's Day approached, all I could think about was how much different it looked in reality than what I thought it would be. And my feelings about motherhood um, today are very different than how I thought it would be even a week ago. And and I kept wondering, like, why doesn't this look like it does on Instagram? (laughs) Like, why isn't my kid sleeping through the night? Like, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? And you know, the second Mother's Day rolled around and then I'd been thinking that for 12 months. (laughs) This is so hard. When does it get easier? When when does it get easier, look better, look nicer, uh, feel better? Why is parenthood so much more difficult than what I would hoped it would be? Why is it so different than what I imagined? Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you're a parent or you have children in your life. things don't look the way you thought they would be. But at the end of it, you're still a parent. You know, no matter the journey, you're still a parent. maybe, Maybe like me, you had postpartum depression or anxiety or felt frustration or even anger at loss of control and loss of this life that you used to have, but still you're a parent no matter what and no matter how you feel about it. Maybe your journey hasn't turned out the way that you thought it would be. You know, maybe it's not what you expected or even what you hope, but at the end of the day, you're still a parent no matter how you feel about it. Or even if you have older children, children that have moved out or children that have made decisions that hurt you or hurt themselves, at the end of the day, you're still a parent. And no matter what it looks like, you're still a parent. And you've been a parent this whole time through thick and thin, through heartache, through loss and grief. You're a parent the whole time. And if you're not a parent, um, you have a parent, and so you can just imagine what they felt. Um, Or if you had, like, maybe not the most positive relationship, just know that this is this analogy that I'm using and I'm going to work with today. And the reason that we're doing this, the reason that I am spending so much time talking about this is because I know that... um, these feelings—they're really relatable for parents. They might be relatable to you, as we talk about what happens in our faith journey, where questions arise within our faith journey, where things that we thought it should look like, or thought it should be like, or thought we should feel like, isn't what it's like for us at all. And so we—we we might have these questions that arise: Am I doing it right? Am I? Am I? Um, I mean, there's, no inst- there's an Instagram version of that, right? Like, am I doing it right? Do- am I showing up on time? Am I praising correctly? Am I praying correctly? If- am I doing it right? And why does it look so different than what I thought it would be? But when questions arise, I want you to know that you are not alone. You're in this community and God is with you. And I know that you do not attend Crosswalk just to get your doctrinal beliefs reaffirmed every week right i know that's probably not why you are here at all there are so many places where you could get that but i know you didn't come here for that and so when i say this just know that it's going to be okay in the end but i know that this is going to be a stretch for all of us for the next five weeks in this elemental series but you have trusted us this far with your faith journey with your walk as a place to worship as a place to grow in community and so please please trust us on this detour. If you've been reading in the series guide, um, you might be a little concerned about where we're going with this sermon series. Um, And if you don't have a series guide, I mean, there's one outside, grab one on your way out. There's a physical copy, it's beautiful. You can download it on our Crosswalk app, you can download it on our website, so make sure you get that and study it. And I know if you have been reading it, maybe you've thought some of these thoughts, wondering where this is gonna go starting to get questions, maybe being a little worried about uh, where Pastor Tim is headed. (laughs) But, But know this, you know, we can't build just a praise and worship faith. Sure, praise and worship, they add to our faith and they grow our faith, and it's a beautiful expression of faith, but it can't be all there is to faith. And you can't build a chain referencing faith where you, where you neatly tie all the texts of the Bible together to demonstrate exactly what you know, hard and fast proof and evidence, because after all, isn't faith like what we believe when we don't have evidence all the time? It's so much more than reading scripture and chain referencing and understanding the Bible and maybe the narrative that we have been taught all along this narrative that we've grown up with maybe it's not working for you anymore and if it is that's okay but if it's not i want you to know it's also okay then maybe the narrative doesn't work because maybe it's not the narrative that scripture gives us so when we talk about tearing things down and deconstructing things. I'm not talking about like some millennial buzzword. I'm not, you know, talking about the hip craze of just tearing apart your faith or like, you know, like the glass onion, like disruptor, destroy everything, break everything apart. I'm not going there. I'm talking about the narrative that we see in scripture, and there's a few stories that I'll bring up where we can actually see Jesus talking about deconstructing and taking apart things in a really helpful way. So the first one is in John 2, where Jesus tells the religious leaders that he's going to tear down the temple. Now, you know this happens before Jesus' death, and he's speaking of himself as the temple. But he told this to the Sadducees, and they could not fathom the destruction of the temple the deconstruction of the temple, the destruction of the temple. They couldn't imagine it, and they couldn't imagine it because they had spent their whole time constructing not only an elaborate place of worship, but an intricate and elaborate temple religion. And they were so angry at Jesus that he even mentioned deconstructing it. And then again in John 3, Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again, about unlearning All those things that had made him a respectable, grown-up, adult, spiritual leader in the community. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and to him, Jesus declared, tear down or deconstruct this life that you have built for yourself. And Nicodemus went away discouraged, the Bible says, and he was discouraged not because he didn't understand Jesus, but because he understood all too well what Jesus was asking him to do deconstruct, tear down, and recreate it in a new way. And then again in John 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well to tear down this liturgical obsession that she had with a singular place. She she was talking to him and engaging with him about where a person should worship. What's the, the right way and the right place to worship? and jesus informs her that there's going to be a day and a time that will come when she can worship she can't worship god on the mountain or in jerusalem and it's not so much that jesus was declaring that that these places were irrelevant to worship in it wasn't that at all instead he was telling her that every place can be a site of true worship there's this argument going on like where do we worship and how do we worship but but by re, restating this argument she was reinforcing this idea that Samaria was, um, had premacy over Jerusalem, and she revealed to Jesus her own fixation on making a new Jerusalem in her own way, instead of allowing God to reveal what that would look like to her. But there is a good type of deconstruction, and there's also a need for it. There's this type that you see even in Jesus himself and in his work. He made this radical critique of the religious leaders of the time and how all the human traditions that they had come up with corrupted biblical truth. We see this deconstructionism in the Hebrew prophets. We see it in the martyrs and the saints that came down through church history and of the reformers who changed the way that that we now think of scriptures, many of whom died at the hands of Christian religious leaders. So we know that the idea of deconstruction or tearing down faith or tearing down these ideas is not a new problem. It's actually a type of deconstruction where Jesus uses it in scriptures over and over and over to critique the world's corruption of the church. Now, there is a different type of deconstruction which uses the world to critique Scripture's authority over the church. And that's not what we're talking about here. We know God is the authority. But the former is the way of Jesus. We want to deconstruct. We want to explore what it means to pick apart our faith and understand it. Because after all, that's what's caused us to rethink a lot of issues, from the time of the reformers to how we worship, to baptism, to which day we worship on. And even in present day about military violence and how we view women in leadership in the church and how we read scripture. It's caused us to rethink a lot of things. So maybe deconstructionism isn't a bad thing. And what we worry about and what you might be thinking is, well, if I start to pick it apart, then all that I've been taught isn't true. And if all that I've been taught isn't true, then maybe my faith isn't true. And maybe if my faith isn't true, then I can't believe anything at all. But that's not the road we're going down. And it's definitely not our end destination because deconstruction is just a middle stage of the process of becoming a mature Christian. It's not the starting point, and it's definitely not where we want to end up. It's not the end goal. Developmental psychologists write about this, and James Fowler is one that I've studied, but there are many, and I've kind of summarized all of their stages. Some have five, some have seven, some have nine, whatever. I've kind of summarized them into this three-stage process of developing as a human, not, not even in faith, but just as a human stage, one is construction. So in your childhood, in your family of origin, um, if they, you know, in theory, hopefully, they did this, you were handed building blocks for a worldview, along with a template and some ideas about how you could construct your own worldview. And this is good, this is healthy, it's developmentally appropriate. This is what toddlers, children, um, adolescents, teenagers go through. This is a very normal thing. This is how they figure out who they are in the world. But at this stage of construction where they're building up, in the mind of a child, adolescent, teenager, whatever, things tend to be very black and white. Things are very rigid. And if you've met a teenager or someone who's almost a teenager, there's a lot of self-righteousness. And we think we know more than we actually know. When I was in eighth grade, I, uh, I remember being very, very, very certain and having a massive argument with my dad. I was certain that the Lord of the Rings was written by C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I was positive. I didn't even need to look at the book on the shelf or Google the information on the internet. I knew who the author was. And my dad, of course, was like, no, you're wrong. And I was like, oh, I'm right. He's like, you're wrong, right? This is what we're talking about with this idea where we think we know way more than we actually know and we're certain that we are right. We think life is black and white. It's pretty clear cut, way more clear cut than it actually is. And because of that, we don't have in this stage one of construction, we don't have a lot of capacity to wrestle with any kind of ambiguity, right? Any kind of, anything that doesn't add up. We don't have a lot of capacity to deal with that. So when the human humanity, human condition hits us, we're like, I don't really know what to do with that. Is it black, is it white, is it clear cut? If it's not, I don't know. So then you get to this middle point, this deconstruction. as you become an adult, and you might start to realize there might be, maybe, some problems with my worldview. Maybe, Maybe the way that the template was handed to me was a little bit skewed, or maybe those building blocks were a little bit biased by my culture, or my ethnic background, or my upbringing, or my religion, or my school, my family. And that can lead us to start to question and to doubt and probe and poke and prod and search for truth, true truth. Like like maybe thinking that what I was handed isn't actually as good and beautiful and true as I thought. Because after all, what I was handed by my parents and my culture and my upbringing, that's all corrupted by humanity. That's all corrupted by sin. So then after construction and deconstruction, there's this stage, developmental psychologists uh, I'm summarizing in, called reconstruction, stage three reconstruction, where you begin to rebuild. You begin to rebuild a worldview, a mental map to live by, um, and it's based on the best wisdom of those who've come before us, billions of people who've come before us, who've done the work before us, so that we don't have to start with a blank slate. And we don't have to learn the lessons from scratch. We don't have to destroy our lives searching for these answers because other people have made these mistakes. Other people have asked these questions and other people have gone before us. So we can begin to reconstruct this new worldview for ourselves. And yes, it's based on past generations. It's based on past knowledge that we study and we learn. But now it's one that we own for ourselves because we have gone through the fire. We have had our ideas and our hearts purged and purified and we own our ideas now with humility and with wisdom and with conviction. In stage three, this reconstruction stage is what what the French philosopher uh, Paul Ricoeur calls the second naivete. So imagine it's almost like what you see in a child where A child is really naive and happy, full of joy, but instead of being happy and full of joy because they don't know anything, it's on the other side of walking through a desert, walking through a wasteland, walking through modern skepticism, as it were, and coming out on the other side and still maintaining that joy. And those who've reached this third stage in life, they often display a mindset that's, that's characterized by a greater, greater willingness to, um, to embrace people, differences, and the mystery of faith. It's characterized by an ability to accept that maybe his thoughts are not our thoughts, nor are his ways our ways. And these people in stage three, they're wise, and they're experienced, and they carry scars, sure, because they've gone down every rabbit hole, and they've exhausted every option, and they have left no stone unturned. They have been through the full gamut of emotions, of searching, and they have come to a new place of humble and trusting joy. But the problem that we have, one of the problems, is that we have, uh, we live in a stage one and stage two culture. People who live constructing their faith or deconstructing their faith. But not many people get to the part where they reconstruct their faith. Not many people develop into that, that space where they're mature in their faith and in their understanding. And they get stuck in stage two with this idea of like, well, what do you do when the, Faith you expected isn't what you, isn't what you get. They sit in this space, tearing things apart, never once continuing on. And, and I liken it to parenting, right? Parenting is similar to this. Every stage we go through is different. Every stage we go through is different with kids, and we're still parents, no matter what we thought it would look like. And with our faith, no matter what stage we go through, whatever stage developmentally and wherever we are with God and in our faith journey, we still need to be on the journey of discovering our faith. Even when it doesn't look the way you thought it would or feel the way you thought it would. So maybe you're not a parent, but maybe in your faith life you're dealing with disappointment or loss or depression or anxiety. Maybe you're just not feeling the way that you thought you would about the situation. And you're not feeling the way you thought you should about God or faith or your religion. What do we do when we lose the feelings that we thought we would feel or we've been told all of our lives that we should feel about God and worship? We, we could start to feel grief and disenfranchisement, and that's the beginning of this deconstructive process. We think to ourselves, well, faith must not even be working out for me. I have to start questioning everything. And I want you to know it's actually okay to question. So it's okay to question. We see, we see stories in Scripture. I think of Job as a really great example of, of being okay to question God, and he, I mean, you know, God was like, well, were you there when I built the world? He's like, no, so we might get put in our place, but it's okay to question, right? So there's this book by David Dark, The Sacredness of Questioning Everything, and there's this quote um, that I love, and it says, we lose nothing by investigating our doctrine, where we look faith in the eye and we say, you don't work. This is not what I was told it would be. And I love that because it's okay. It's a great reminder that it's okay to say, you're not what I thought you would be. This doesn't look how I thought it would look. This isn't turning out the way I thought it would turn out and I definitely don't feel the way I thought I should feel. And it's okay to experience grief about this. It's okay to experience grief that it's not living up to our expectations. Because that's not the same as God not living up to our expectations. God's not responsible for living up to our expectations. He's already exceeded them. He's lived in every moment before and after us. But we think to ourselves, well, if God knows what I need, then why didn't he give it to me? Why didn't he provide in the way that I thought he would provide it? So then we begin to think, well, either I have bad faith or God is not a good and loving God. Because we've been told all our lives, or at least maybe I have, growing up in the Seventh-day Adventist tradition and maybe other Christian uh, faith traditions experience this as well, but I've been told my whole life that these are, the, these are the doctrines, these are the set of beliefs that you have to believe for your faith to work in the right way. And here's how you're supposed to think about what you believe. And here's the way you should express what you believe. But what if that has stopped working for you? Where do you go from there? If it is working for you, that's great and that's wonderful and I admire that, but what if it doesn't? That's where we need to start this deconstruction process. I know there's gonna be disappointment There's this feeling maybe that we've been lied to our whole life, but we need to stay willing to engage with the long journey of our faith. After all, you know, there's a beginning and a middle and this end space where things get a lot better. But we need to go through that deconstruction. We need to ask those questions. And we need to sit in the disappointment and in the rubble of not knowing. We're not answering all the questions today. And I know that's really frustrating for some because we like to leave church feeling like we have all the answers and we can go through the week with some, some settled mindset and control, but we're not answering all the questions today. And we're not even answering all of the questions in season one of Elemental. There's more to come, there's another season. There's a lot more to come. And I know this will leave you with more questions than you came here with, but I want to leave you with this story that it's okay to question faith and it's okay to question where God is and it's okay to question if or how God is leading you. And I'm reminded of the story of the Israelites as they escaped Egypt as um, after, after sending Moses to talk to Pharaoh time and time again and being denied their freedom, they were finally free pharaoh had finally said the last straw had broke and you can be free get out of my sight i don't want you in my country anymore and as they fled from the uh, from from egypt and they fled into the wilderness in the desert they came up upon the red sea there was no way past the red sea they thought and then the egyptian army was following them and they saw the egyptian army coming towards them and they they cried out to moses they cried out moses it would have been better that we died in egypt at least there the food was good and they worried where they wondered where god was have you led us into this space just to die at the hand of the egyptians but moses answered the people and he said do not be afraid Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. And the Egyptians that you see today, you're never going to see again in your life because the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And so we can sit in this, recognize that this is the human condition, recognize that doubt is okay, Questions are okay because it means that it matters to you. It means that you care about it when you're engaging with it and asking questions. Because this doesn't just happen in our faith life. This happens in our, our life. We don't cease becoming parents because it's hard. We don't, we don't cease our jobs or our careers or our livelihoods just because one thing didn't go our way or it doesn't look the way we thought it should. God doesn't always show up the way we think he should, the way we think he will, or make everything make sense like we want. But we still do the work, we still engage. Friends, I know this is five weeks of questions and maybe so much more after that, but that is okay because we have work to do. We don't want a blind faith Mm -hmm. that just takes the building blocks that we were given as a child and says, these are just fine for me. We want a faith that is healthy because that's what's required in order to mature in our relationship with God, to ask those questions, to understand, to come through the fire, to to come through the fire gaining that wisdom like the sages and prophets of old where they come out on the other side and they say, I have made it through the desert and the wilderness and I have reached the oasis. I have reached this space where I know God is real and that faith is mine now. And I want that for each of you. I want that for each of us. And so as we go through this series, the next few weeks, the next few seasons of this, ask the questions, open your heart, and stay on this faith journey. Bow your heads with me. God of the ages, of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, the one who led the Israelites, out of the desert and into the promised land. You have been questioned over and over and over again and you cease to remain God. You you never cease to remain God. You always have an answer in your time. Guide us on our journey with our questions and our understanding of you. We ask and we pray this believing in your holy name, amen. Stand and worship one more time.